Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastup. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. We just spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to pronounce a word in a de Tocqueville quote, and I, th- I think we got it figured out. I think so. Why don't you read it, Eric? I'm going to read the quote. I was just going to read the word. I can read the quote. I can say the word now. Fate. Fate. F-E-T-E just so you know, is a celebration or a festival. So next time you're at a, a party or something, you can invite someone to a fate and see if they even know what you're talking this about. This is quite a fate. <laughs> this is quite a fate we're at. Oh, yeah. man. Well, we looked that up uh, because it, it was in a de Tocqueville reference. And last week we talked about intermediating institutions and their um, the goods that they provide, but also uh, the connection, the community there. We talked about some bonding and bridging social capital and how we need something more than individuals and more than, and, and more than the state. We need everything in between all these groups, all these connecting, um, connecting communities that allow people to, uh, I, I think we talked about bearing one another's burdens, um, showing meaning, all those type of things. We need those institutions. And the Dokeville saw saw that being observed or observed that in America. Did you want to read this quote now oh. that you know how to pronounce fate? <laughs> now that I learned, I'll give it a try. In uh, 1831, he made a visit to the United States, and this is what he observed. Americans of all ages, conditions, and dispositions constantly unite together. Not only do they have commercial and industrial associations to which they belong, but also a thousand other kinds, religious, moral, serious, feudal. Americans grouped together to hold fates. There you go. Mm. Found seminaries, build inns, construct churches, distribute books. They established prisons, schools by the same method. I have frequently admired the endless skill with which the inhabitants of the United States manage to set a common aim to the efforts of a great number of men and persuade them to pursue it voluntarily. And that actually is the quote that I was looking for last week, mm. wishing I had that. But uh, what we were talking about last week had to do with these intermediate institutions and all of this voluntary mm-hmm. uh, kind of effort that is put forth and ends up with relationships and strong social capital and uh, lots of other good for uh, the world. And uh, one of the things that one of the implications of this that we have come to uh, think about this week has to do with how, uh, how shall I say it, how the, those social capital producing uh, activities, uh, those associations often are uh, tax exempt. Mm. And one of the things that has come under fire recently is the the prospect that churches are tax exempt and you know i I probably would be helpful maybe even as we as we mention this to talk about ways in which the 
the church is uh, favored in the tax code. Oh, sure. Just uh, what, 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 are, what are the facts on the ground about how yeah. taxes work? And so, I mean, probably the first and one that does come under some fire is uh, that uh, churches don't pay property tax on houses of worship. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's one. There is uh, is that, and maybe we don't know, but is that limited to the actual house of worship proper, or any building that is under? Well, it isn't. The any, it isn't any building. I mean, if there is a parsonage, that would be considered part of. Uh, I think part of the church's ownership, and I, I probably should be a little more clear about that. But other places, like our church, owns a couple. Um, houses that we rent, mm-hmm. we are not tax exempt on those. So we're, we're paying taxes on those, right? But not the where where and, people gather to worship, and we're paying, t- yeah, because we have some unrelated um, income mm-hmm. there too. So that's um, yeah, on that property we're paying taxes, and so there is there is that. There's a property tax. There is a. Um, Gifts to a 501c3, which mm-hmm. I'm sure will... Um, oh, I'm excited to get into this list. I know you are. I'm sure we'll <laughs> talk about that soon. Is um, the gifts to that kind of organization are um, uh, tax exempt. In other words, you can mm-hmm. itemize those on your income tax and have a uh, tax exemption there. Uh, there. There is uh, a housing allowance for clergy, which is... Um, in some regard, I think a benefit to the church is in a way that they can structure a salary package that saves just a you know a small percentage on uh, self-employment or on social security taxes. But that you know one would say, well, that's a big benefit to uh, clergy or to churches or whatever. But it does you know it's part of the pie, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, there has been even uh, people who say that, um, that churches should have taxes on their income, like people give it, and instead of it being tax-exempt, it should be taxed. But mm. any anyway, people go so far as to think that, but that's, that's not a thing, I don't think. So anyway, th- that's how churches are. And I think the other thing then, that getting into what you're excited about, <laughs> is... <laughs> Are all of the other intermediate institutions, and there are many that are also tax exempt, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably worth talking about too. So you are fired up about the five hundred one c organizations. Man, don't don't overplay this. So so we talked about the what uh, mm-hmm. that this is. There are um, churches are not taxed like businesses. That's that's the what. Right. Um, and then if we go to the why, why are churches not taxed like businesses. Um, and one of the main reasons is because they're a nonprofit organization. And many nonprofit organizations are not taxed like businesses. Um, and Scott was referencing my glee about the 501c list. And if you were to jump on the IRS website and look at the list, there are, there, by my count right now, there are 29 different categorizations of 501c uh, type organizations and we're mo- you're probably most familiar with the 501c3. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be your religious, your educational, your charitable, scientific, literary, testing for public safety. 
to foster national or international amateur sports competition or prevention of cruelty to children or animal organizations. So almost anything you've probably given to was a 501c3. Probably. Um, but there are 28 other uh, That was a little of bit of a surprise to me, frankly. <laughs> I will say that. But and, the, go ahead. And some of them make sense. So you have like a C4 civic leagues or social welfare organizations, um, social recreational clubs or C7s. Uh, so they're, they're, they're not taxed in the same way. Chamber of Commerce. Most cities have chambers of commerce and those are C6s. Um, but there are a lot of, oh, another one. I'm, I'm part of a credit union. Those are also uh, tax exempt because they're a 501C14. State ch chartered credit unions, mutual reserve funds. Um, there's federal credit unions. Those are C1s. But all that to say, there are a bunch of different e intermediating institutions. In the eyes of the government, they view them and say, these, these are a good for people. So they're not going to be taxed um, in the way businesses would be taxed because we don't want to discourage them. We don't want to break them probably and you could even go farther and say we want to encourage them mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. and and so the the reason we're doing that this week is because last week we talked about these intermediary intermediary institutions and the the function that they play in society and how much we need them and that is even recognized what you know mm -hmm. what we're talking about today that that's even recognized in the tax code mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. and so i think it's important that we uh, include uh, this sort of as a tack on on the uh, other side of right. the um, the intermediate in, intermediate institutions, right? And and you said uh, to encourage. I said to not discourage. You said to encourage. I think it's also worth noting if if you tax something, there's a there's a principle that you get less of what you tax. It is a, it is a disincentive. Um, and Chief Justice John Marshall back in 1819 said the power to tax involves the power to destroy. So I think uh, even the, the people that were putting these different um, list of tax codes together, and th this wasn't just one, one and done. This has been over decades, centuries of listing this stuff out. I think that's been in the mind of people as well. This isn't just a church thing. This is we want to make sure we don't destroy these things because they, they are good for us. They are, they are a need um, that cannot be met by the state and cannot be met by the individual. So let's make sure that we still have these things, and, and one of those things is churches. Yeah, some have um, some have said that the this whole tax exempt uh, status for religion has gone all the way back to Constantine when he um, converted to Christianity in the year three twelve, and made some churches uh, tax exempt, made all churches tax exempt in the Roman Empire at that time, which is very interesting. Um, but in the United States, it uh, began in 1894 with the Wilson-Gorman Tariff Act. Mm. And um, they uh, established some, that was like the first stab at establishing tax exempt status for charitable organizations and was declared unconstitutional the year after it was created. But the language of that act has sort of been the, the foundation of many others. There was another in 1909, another in 1917, and uh, the the tax code as we know it probably, uh, you'd probably go all the way up to the Tax Reform Act of uh, 1969 to get close to what we have now when there are some strict requirements and prohibited activities that these 501c 
organizations can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the, um, the act being labeled unconstitutional. I just want to make clear that it wasn't the tax exempt piece that was the unconstitutional piece. It was the taxing at all. Um, that was, nope, we're not going to do that, which may be worth just a little history lesson. It probably is worth talking about. <laughs> um, I think now we're in 2022, kind of sitting in the context we live in. And I know if you're not, I know for myself, if I don't think about it too much, like, well, everything's taxed. Of course, everything's taxed. That's not a um, historically common thing, especially in our country. Uh, prior, well, prior to the American Revolution, there everything wasn't taxed. And one of the things that actually got people pretty ticked off was the Molasses Act. We're going to we're going to tax the molasses, which got the uh, the colonies pretty fired up. That was in 1733. I think probably the, the bigger driver might have been the rum that was also taxed because it was categorized alongside the molasses. Um, but that's one of the things that got us, got us fired up about um, the American Revolution was being taxed on things um, that we weren't accustomed to being taxed for. And then at the beginning of, of the country, of the United States of America, the the taxes that are the taxes, the funding that largely funded the federal government wasn't just taxing everybody like we, we do now. It was mainly exports or, or imports, rather. If someone is going to import into this country, okay, we're going to do a tariff on this, and then um, there'll be a cost added to this if you're going to bring this to America. And that's where the money came in for the federal government. Um, you may remember from high school history, there was the Whiskey Rebellion, which was a tax protest because they they were going to tax whiskey. We keep taxing alcohol, and people get really frustrated. <laughs> that's that's a, something to note, I guess, in America. But the Whiskey Rebellion was... <laughs> tax the churches, but don't tax alcohol. Don't, there you go. Don't tax our whiskey. Um, but the Whiskey Rebellion was a tax protest beginning in 1791, ending in 19, or 1794, because they were frustrated with this whiskey tax, which was the first tax imposed on a domestic product by this newly formed federal government that was the United States of America. So uh, it's it's not been a common thing to have everything taxed. In fact, we didn't have income tax until 1909, and we had to amend the Constitution to do that. That's what the 16th Amendment was for. And that's right around that same time that you were talking about the legislation from, was it 1894? Um, so basically, the 16th Amendment opened up the opportunity to tax people. And now, okay, what are we going to do with that? If we just start taxing everything, we're going to discourage some of the some of the groups, some of the organizations, some of the communities. So how are we going to set up the tax code so that it still um, gives us the good benefits that we want and funds the things we also need to fund? And that's where you get some of these exemptions going forward. And the, the tax exempt, uh, just a little more history lesson, because I, it is helpful to think of this historically, mm-hmm. that um, the, at World War I is when uh, income tax, uh, federal income tax was raised, mm-hmm. the, the rate was raised considerably, and everyone was worried that that would cause any kind of contributions to churches mm-hmm. and other nonprofits to dry up and to disappear. And uh, in fact, that has, um, th- there is something to that because once, uh, once the, uh, <clears throat> let me see, the, Exemption that the individual exemption went up, and what it was that 2018, 17 or 18, 
um, it, it says that, or at least what I'm, I'm reading here, suggests that um, the uh, charitable gifts leveled off considerably when that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and they had been growing since then. Well, they'd been growing or, before then. Right, right, right. And then they Sorry. leveled off yep, because there was no longer any kind of tax incentive. Now, you'd, you'd hope people give for other reasons. Right. But the reality is they're related. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can't undo what has been done in that regard. So, mm-hmm. um, but it, but really, when we're talking about World War One when the tax rates were raised to uh, fund the the war effort, and that's when uh, tax exempt gifts were begun. You might say. Mm-hmm. And so, some of this is um, you know there's a there is a lot of history, and the the question then uh, does. I think come back to, is it not so much, is it fair, but is it worth it? Mm. You know, cause it means in some respect, no, it isn't fair. And the thing is these different organizations do different things. But the, the question is, is like it the 501c 13 cemetery companies like them? <laughs> I could just keep throwing these in here all day. <laughs> um, but is, is that, is it worth it for the the church or maybe another nonprofit to be tax exempt? In other words, does society gain more mm. than the tax would uh, reimburse them or something? I mean, uh, in other words, is it is are the taxes uh, less than the value society receives? Right. And so that that's the question. And I think that when there's been a push. To or or when there's been noise or hashtag tax the churches, mm-hmm. uh, there there is this uh, opinion or perspective that churches don't contribute more than their um, um, property tax or you know tax exempt gifts would offset. Mm. And I think that probably is the question. And in all fairness, that probably is a question that churches really need to make sure that they're clear on. Mm. Is that, you know, we are here heralding the kingdom of heaven, and we we ought to be doing good mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just forget that, yes, in fact, we have any obligation to our fellow man or any obligation to anybody else is irresponsible and i don't think that there are very many churches that um, don't care about the world and don't care about the rest of the um uh, the poor or anything like that so uh one of the things that would be interesting and it might help some people just um, to think about how um, churches do contribute to the community and what is the what would you know you can't it's hard to put a um a financial value on it i suppose but it has been tried mm-hmm. how's that um and so the uh, one of the interesting uh, things that i found was uh, an article in the friendly atheist there you go um asking the question what do churches contribute to uh, the community, and they addressed all kinds of uh, things that the church does, and so you'd have to say, what would what would the church's uh, value 
uh, be for the community mm-hmm. if we were taxed on our um, on our property? Mm-hmm. What would the what would the church's value be annually if um, people I don't know paid thirty seven percent on the money they gave the church mm-hmm. instead of in tax were taxed on it instead of it coming to the church for free and uh, or tax free not for free but tax free and um, so this uh, somebody set out to try and get a number on that actually it was very interesting and the the number that they they put on uh, at least one congregation was um, six million ninety thousand and thirty two dollars. And that was uh, a particular congregation. Per, yeah, ten times its annual budget was that was the mm. that was I think the figure. And they talked about the money members spend in town. They talked about the um, the stimulus to the local economy. Then the church hires you mm. know contractors to do things. Mm-hmm. Talked about volunteer hours, getting people off drug and alcohol, crime prevention, divorce prevention, uh, reduced crime rate. You know, uh, in uh, building enhancements. Um, helping people find employment, suicide prevention, all kinds of different um, activities that end up adding economic value, which mm-hmm. whether you agree with that or not, it's not, you know, I didn't do it, right? Somebody else did it. Um, it was a, a study by the University of Pennsylvania uh, years ago in 1997, attempted that, did it again in 2009, and that's where they got those numbers. And I think it's really important that we, um, you know, think about that. How does this uh, affect the, the um, community? And I, and really, I think it's also probably uh, important to acknowledge that the the founders recognized that as well when they um, when they set up the the country. They recognized these intermediate institutions were important for the moral shaping and um, the, the, the strength of the, the community. So there, that's, um, I guess, my, some of my thoughts on, you know, is it worth it and is that the right way to even think about it? Mm. Is it worth it? That's, I suppose, a question that you probably, uh, we probably should ask. Um, or do we just say, oh, hey, it favors us, so we're good. Right. See, I think we have to be careful about that, too. Well, I think it's good to work through those, the dollar pieces. A lot of that, those activities we don't think about in monetary terms, um, but there is uh, financial cost to them and financial, um, if you were to have to pay for them some other way, then it definitely gets added up. I, th- I don't remember if you mentioned the, an average, it, that same study did an average urban church in Philadelphia provides about $476,000 worth of services annually. Um, and just to think about that, I, and I, I, you're going through that list and I was just in my own head ticking off, oh yeah, we, we've done that type of thing at our church and we've had that kind of influence and that type of impact. And um, it seems at least obvious to me that the, the cost foregone in taxes um, is far exceeded by the impact we have in in our city um and obviously i'm a little biased because I, I sit i sit in the building as well but I, I do think that's worth at least pondering if you're if you're sitting there going what do we do how, how are we loving our neighbors because any any real loving of neighbors is going to have an impact 
Um, and I think not only does, is there a costing that could be equated or, or not equated, um, but having person on person interaction instead of state on person, um, trying to take care of those needs. I think just the, the community is built better with a church than it would be. Um, I'm picturing like, Oh, this person is get, 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 gets kicked out of their house. They need a place to live jumping into, um, into their community where they're, they're in their life group or something. And we're going to go live in that house with one of our life group members is far different than having to go to the government and dealing with someone a little more impersonal and going, Hey, I need help. And just the, the cost is different. And also the, there's no community there. There's just, um, here, here's some money to deal with X, Y problem. There's no connection. There's no bearing one another's burdens. So I think the cop, I'm sure you can, you could do a, a calculation in it, and it more than exceeds in value. Um, but I think the quality of, uh, of the interactions is even better as well. I hope so. And I, I think you've got to be honest, though, and say, why are people asking this question? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they're asking the question has to do with the sort of exorbitant lifestyle of some celebrity pastors and right. um, some of the, the size of some churches that don't get taxed at all that are, you know, enormous and on enormous pieces of property and have all of this mm. rather than they're, they're really not asking the question about the average American sure, church. That's that a good is, point. That is 75 people and sits on a corner. Right. They're asking I mean, if they had to pay taxes, they're done. Right. Yep. I mean, exactly. So they're really, and, and the thing is, I think we have to be honest and say, mm-hmm. yeah, we have to think through about how the expression, the American expression of church uh, impacts uh, the way that um, churches are taxed or not taxed, and is that you know is that right? I think so. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's really fair of people to ask the question. I mm-hmm. think it's pretty short-sighted to say the best thing we can get from churches are their taxes. Sure, that I sure. that I think I would be careful about. Um, and I you know I th- I'm really thankful that there's a softball organization that my girls could play in that. Somebody could donate to tax free, and I'm yeah. really thankful for all of these other things because life is richer. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there is a, uh, you might say, a, a, at least some minor level of support mm-hmm. from the state, from the federal government, for these sorts of intermediate institutions, and I, I just don't think that we can state uh, strongly enough the importance of those intermediate institutions Mm -hmm. in the social fabric and the strength of our country. And I think that uh, to neglect them and to forget about them in the, you know, rhetoric of partisan politics is to make a huge mistake. Right. Right. And I, I, even the way you describe that people are asking these questions, I think that should give us a level of humility if we're going to talk about this, which, which I think makes this whole episode worth doing. We're actually going to think through this. Why is this the case? And if, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't think we're actually doing any of these things. And I, uh, maybe it is a broken way a particular church is doing this. I think just going into these conversations with a bit of humility and, yeah, let's talk right. through this. How does this work? This is how I see this, and here's the history. Um, and, it, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're maybe sitting in a context going, you know, I don't think we're loving our neighbors at all, and I don't think we're engaging anything, well, hey, get, get your shoes on and, and go love some neighbors and— um, be, be, seek the welfare of the city around you because you're, 
your church is a little embassy in that uh, in that neighborhood, wherever that is, and we want that to be a, a good witness to the kingdom as well. So, I, I would say one other thing is that uh, I think if you are an American who is uh, you know thinks that churches ought to be protected in some way, you have to you have to be sort of upfront on religious freedom mm. and be. Um, okay that mosques or other religions get mm-hmm. the same kind of protection and the same kind of advantage, I should say. In, in fact, I mean, one of my notes says, in the spring of 2010, the state of Oklahoma awarded tax exempt status to a sat- Satanist group called the Church of the Four Majesties. I mean, what do you do with that? Except that says, except to say, you know what? I mean, if that's the the mm-hmm. proper application of that, then it, th- that group probably, you know, should have it as well. Right. I would hope that they would provide the public good, like we were talking about for churches, but who knows? Well, and, and, and vice versa, um, First Amendment, there will be no establishment of a religion. There's no, there's no um, established religion in America. And I think, it's, it's kind of a weird way to look at it, but I think this tax-exempt piece for all religious groups is in fact a not establishing of religion because um, we're not going right. to depress or encourage any of these things. They're all going to be on the same, they get the same playing field. Yep. yep. And it doesn't, it doesn't say Christian organizations. It says religious organizations and you can disagree or agree with whatever religious group, but they're going to have that same status because they're not going to be established by the government as, as the religion uh, of the state. So, yep. Well, good. I think that was fun. Little, I hope so. Little That's all piece. I got to say That's about all I got. that. That's all I got. So come come back next week. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. Uh, rate us for all the great tax info that we provide. We are also not tax professionals, so please remember that. If you find what we're doing helpful, review goes a long way. Share this with a friend. Um, if you have questions or ideas for future episodes, send them to comment at cityonhillpodcast.com. And we look forward to the next conversation. Thanks.